Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome to the Gospel for Life. We've been talking about legalism and antinomianism in these past few broadcasts, and that is to kind of prime you for our conference coming up November 8th and 9th. The theme this year is In Christ Alone, and one of the sessions, Russell. No, I was going to let you finish that thought. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> One of the sessions coming up is our obedience to Christ, and and Dr. Jones is going to very much kind of unpack uh, what the gospel is and what the errors of legalism and antinomianism are. So go ahead. I was just going to say that so often that, that those terms are thrown around, um, and it really is, is difficult because there's so much that lies underneath of them and and what somebody is using the term legalist. I, what I've found is oftentimes people that are using the term legalist or legalism or whatever are, are using it incorrectly. Um, and so I, I would just caution the listener to say that we're using terminology. Hopefully we've, we've tried to define what we're saying in a way that's helpful. You might, if you missed some earlier broadcasts, go back and, and try to do that. But just know that behind the terms, I, I think you have to yeah. be gracious and patient and, and really try to unpack, well, when somebody uses one of those words, what do they actually mean? Yeah. And, and do the hard work of having a meaningful conversation. And I would suggest probably don't throw the terms around a lot when you're referring to other people. Yeah. yeah. Well, you you sound like that's coming from personal experience. <laughs> Maybe. So Maybe. So. <laughs> yeah. But but both legalism and this lawlessness are divorced away from the person of Christ. That's right. and, and that's the re- the real essence is get the person of Christ back into um, your understanding of these things, how it affects uh, the fact that you recognize that the law has been given to us by a gracious and loving God for our good and his glory. Amen. Well, and that's why we're talking about the gospel, because it always requires clarification. In fact, Martin Luther once said that the reason why he preached justification by faith alone to his congregation every week is because they forgot it every week. (laughs) (laughs) And I can say for myself that I'm one of those people who can remember the, the doctrine of justification by faith alone in my head, but very much forget it in my heart. So the questions that we are tackling this week uh, regards these two enemies of the gospel, legalism and antinomianism. Or legalism and license. That's right. So Mr. Legality and Ms. License or um, religion and and irreligion. Moralism and pragmatism. That's right. That's right. So today we are asking the question of whether or not Christians, we're not talking about the unsaved person, but whether or not Christians can please or displease God based on how they obey or disobey. So let's just start right there, brothers. Is it right that we try to please God as Christians, or is that language itself legalistic and problematic? Well, I think we have to go back to what, you know, our our own justification and understand what it 
means for us. We're told in Ephesians 2.10, for we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So if God has planned that for us, obviously he's pleased when we do those things. And uh, it's not, not because this somehow benefits God or adds something to the fullness of his triune nature and life. You know, it, it's, you know, it's not necessary to him. You know, it doesn't play any necessary role in governing our relationship to him. Um, but, you know, the question is, ultimately, who needs our obedience? Does God need it or do we need it? And so it's not God, but there's a sense, so there's a clear sense that God doesn't need our obedience to maintain some moral equilibrium in himself. It's we who need our obedience for the fulfillment of the end that he's created it for. He's, he's created us into good works that he's prepared that we should walk in them. And, uh, you know, so it's we who need our obedience for that future end in order to glorify God and enjoy him in his presence. So, uh, strictly speaking, our obedience is not anything God needs. Obedience is something we need. Um, so we, and and that's that should um, help us understand that yes, He's pleased with with our obedience because that's the end to which He created us for. I I don't think the the language of pleasing God is legalistic. I think it's biblical. Um, Colossians one says, and so from the day we heard. I mean, this is just a little trivia here. Um, the first sermon, quote-unquote, I ever preached was, I don't know, maybe five to eight years before I went to seminary, and it was on this text, Colossians 1. Um, and it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as, so this is a causal phraseology here, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And the implication in that is that we can walk in a a manner that's not fully pleasing. Mm -hmm. We can walk in a manner that displeases God. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not legalistic. That's relational. Mm -hmm. Um, Our our sin cannot touch our union with Christ, but it can affect our communion mm-hmm. with him, mm-hmm. the relational aspect. We can mm-hmm. displease the Lord because we do things that are contrary to his nature, mm-hmm. to his character, to his image that he is wanting us to, to, to have renewed within us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To maybe use a, an analogy that may or may not be helpful. Again, so I have a wedding ring on my hand. I'm married to my my wife of 20 years this year, actually, Monica. Um, if I say something unkind to her this morning, it's going to disrupt our relationship, but it's not going to disrupt our union. We're married by mm-hmm. covenant, mm-hmm. you know. And, and if if you're thinking, okay, but give me a scripture, Josh. Well, scripture says in Ephesians 4:30 that do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Would that not mean to displease the Holy Spirit of mm-hmm. God? Why is Paul saying that? Because the way in which we live our lives can be either pleasing or displeasing to God, and that is something that is separate from our justification yeah. or our union with Christ. Yeah, and we're called to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, yep. you know, to walk with him. That's right. Okay, so then let me ask 
kind of the converse question. I, I guess we've kind of answered this already. Is God displeased with Christians when they sin? Is God ever angry with justified, adopted, born-again Christians? And the answer is yes, he is. I mean, I was teaching Sunday school once, and we were talking about a life of obedience and, and working through, um, at that point, it was dealing with some of the imperatives. And I had a, a lady stop me after class and say, I, I, I'm just not going to come to your Sunday school class anymore. I'm like, oh, okay. And she said, because at the end of the day, um, I feel guilty um, because of, of, of some of these things, and guilt is always wrong for a Christian. Mm. Christians don't have to and shouldn't feel guilt. Um, and so in, in essence, she <laughs> was telling me that I was doing the work of Satan um, because I was making her feel something that she should not, as a child of God, feel. But at the end of the day, we should feel guilt when we sin because it is still an offense to a holy God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between condemnation That's right. and guilt. That's right. Yeah. I don't have condemnation. Right. I you're stand. not you're not telling yeah, you're not you're not saying that that this person that was in your class, if if they truly are Christian, that they can lose their justification and go to hell. Mm-hmm. That's correct. But I can say that there are actions that we do. That is sin. And people will say, well, in Christ Jesus, God doesn't see my sin. Well, it depends on what you mean by that. I mean, God sees all. Yeah. He sees when I sin against what he has commanded, yeah. either by not doing or, or leaving undone or, or, or and, doing. And he searches the recesses of yes. our hearts, even when we don't even know that we have sinned in that way. But he's no longer crediting that to my account. Mm-hmm. He sees the sin through Jesus Christ, which is different than saying he doesn't see it. Yeah. He sees me in Christ as one that is forever cleansed of my sin. And, and, and yes, we do do those things that displease God, and that's why we are told that he actually disciplines us because we displease him. You know, we, he tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected him. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, di- he disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. Yeah. And, you know, of course, discipline, he goes on to say that discipline doesn't, you know, isn't you know we don't enjoy it for that moment and all discipline seems harsh but he's doing it for our good yeah i I, one of the things i hope that our listeners pull away from like this conversation is that theology is um is not a tweet you know it's it's not a facebook post it's not something you just throw up on pinterest not that you can't throw up theology there but it's it's oftentimes very nuanced uh, when we're talking about pleasing and displeasing the Lord, it's it's true that we we could never um, add to our righteousness in terms of our justification, but it is not true that we can't live a more righteous life in terms of our sanctification. Right. So let's ask one more question, and we only have like two minutes on this. So uh, throwing a bomb here at the end: uh, Does God love all justified believers identically? I th- you know as as justified believers he's loving us as he sees Christ in us not as he's seen Christ in us but as we've been imputed with Christ's righteousness we've been clothed with Christ so as much as he loves his own son he loves us right um 
I'll just blame Stephen Sharnock, so I'll just quote him, and so if you have problems with it, you can take it up with Sharnock. It says, God cannot help but love us more and more if we become more and more like him. Mm-hmm. Christians will receive an increase of favor the more we become like Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but I'll let you it, do with that quote what you want, but the idea but that's is... The san- that's, the, uh, that's the sanctifying quality. That's, that's right. The, that's the fact that he can love us for the, for the good that, that he's seen in us, but he also loves us because he sees Christ in us. He sees Christ. Um, we're imputed with that righteousness. So. And, and the other thing, too, is there are different nuances even of God's love. That's correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, D.A. Carson wrote a great book called The Difficult, the Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God, where he unpacks five different ways of looking at God's love. And you have to understand this. God does love believers in a different way than he loves the rest of the world. And if you can see that nuance right there, then hopefully you can see the nuance. Okay, yeah, I can see that how in one sense he loves all justified believers perfectly identically. But in a fatherly way, depending on a person's sanctification, it, it can increase or or decrease just like in a relationship with a father and a son at That's, home. Yeah, the, the relational aspect yep, there. Yep, yep. Was that all you guys got? Well, you know, I thought you said we only had a few seconds here, so we just kind of slowed our minds down. Well, that's good. You, you told me <laughs> you we guys had are a normally few long-winded yeah, about everything. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we are really excited about the conference coming up, uh, November eighth and 9th. Hopefully, you can make it. The theme this year is in Christ alone, and I think the video is, is... It too far to say that it would be pleasing to God if you attended the conference. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, but you will be pleased with God if you attend the conference and you'll be pleased with getting together with a bunch of other Christians from different churches. This is one of the greatest opportunities of the year. Every Sunday we go to our local churches. We we worship with a set number of believers, (coughs) but then we get to... To, I get to worship with your guys' congregants. And all of a sudden, you realize the six degrees of separation have been narrowed down to just a couple. That's right. That's right. You have so much in common. That's right. So go to ReformationBoise.com. I think the promo video is up on the website right now. Um, and all the details to register are right there. In fact, you can register right there. And uh, November 8th, 9th, hopefully we'll see you then. 